Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Coming up in a couple of minutes, Tennessee is in a big old mess, and in a roundabout way, a uh, beloved former dog is kind of somewhat mixed into this story. We'll talk about what all that's about, uh, what that means here in a moment. And before the show is done, I actually might have a surprisingly, I should say, a slightly surprising take on the Tennessee situation. Some of y'all may say a terrible take. I'll let you judge it for yourself. We will do that here coming up in a few minutes. SEC Media Days begins today. Connor Riley going to be on hand with us in a couple of minutes from Nashville. He'll help us preview all of that. I stay back on the home front this week so I can deliver the show to you the way we always do. And obviously, we're focused in on what's going to happen when the Georgia Bulldogs have their turn on the stage. That is tomorrow. And you know how it works. We talked to a Jake Fromm about this on Friday that – all the microphones are in the faces there's the big podium lots of hands in the air lots of reporters that want to ask questions and so it seems kind of appropriate here for a moment to sort of preview what i think some of the big topics are going to be around georgia now this is by no means an exhaustive list we don't have time to do all of that i've told you before that if you had one shot to ask kirby smart one question in a week like this i, I think my thing might sort of center in on drill down on some of the injury timelines because you know during spring practice you sort of just sort of put everything in the same bucket and you basically say this doesn't really matter now we'll check back in on the summer well now we are in the summertime we are only a couple of weeks away from practices actually beginning it is sec media days time right now and what you see by this point in time is a little bit of a divergence in some of the timelines some of those injuries a lot of those were shoulder type injuries on the defense seems like those guys are well on their way back the best sense you get but there are other guys who their timeline may be not quite as uh, expedient if you if, if you get my drift there may be a couple of guys that georgia would like to have big seasons from who you may have to wait a few weeks into the start of the year to actually see them at their best if at all and so that's probably some of the interesting stuff that kirby smart will be asked here this week but beyond that because i've talked about that before let me kind of zero in on and center in on a few other topics that i do think will be of interest this week and let me start with one of the players that georgia is taking with it to sec media dates and that is brock bowers now listen I like the history of college football. I like the history of the SEC. I'm kind of a nerd. I'm kind of a dork. I am not a historian. I'm just someone who likes the history and kind of understands, you know, what matters in sports from sort of a historical perspective. And I think anytime you see history playing out in front of you, I think it's important to recognize that for what it is. And I would say that the first two years that Brock Bowers has been on campus here at UGA playing for these dogs, I don't know that Brock has gotten the proper appreciation. You will remember that back as a freshman, he wasn't even a finalist for the Mackey Award going to the nation's top tight end. For all we talk about, about you know Georgia being overlooked for the Joe Moore Award as the nation's top offensive line, the most egregious snub of them all may have been Powers, not even nominated as a finalist for for the award for top tight end when he had what 13 touchdowns whatever it was that season that is a it is a laughable omission and it doesn't say anything about Bowers it says a lot of bad stuff apparently about whoever it is that chooses the Mackey award winner but that's an example of the fact that for a while Brock's kind of been overlooked here or there I think you're starting to see some evidence that's not the case I saw you know some of the USA Today writers had said some nice things about him recently I saw this from Pro Football Focus and I'll show it to you when they kind of start to look ahead to next year's NFL draft the 2024 NFL draft specifically at the position of tight end you're probably not surprised to find out that nobody ranks 
ahead of Brock Bowers in terms of all that. In fact, uh, Pro Football Focus says could be a top five pick here in the upcoming NFL draft. They actually take it a step further than that. Let me read you uh, what they recently said about Brock Bowers that he's always been a top NFL draft uh, prospect. If Bowers could have declared after his true freshman season, he would have been a first-round pick back then. That's after 2021. In 2022, his 24 explosive plays were the most in the FPS for any tight end. Now, to me, and pro football focus admittedly is not everyone's cup of tea, but to me, that's just a little bit more like it. That's just a little bit more the way it should be. That's how the conversation should be ongoing. As I've said before, I believe that Bowers is the only player certainly attending SEC media days and quite likely the only player in the SEC currently that will rank as one of the greatest players in his program's history. Now, maybe something changes uh, that makes us think differently about one of the guys currently in the league, but as it appears right now, Bowers may currently be the only historic figure in the league and being treated that way at SEC media days I just believe is appropriate I think it's important to acknowledge what's happening in front of us what we see with our own eyes and Georgia's two national championships certainly a team effort collective kind of ensemble cast style success but in the midst of that Bowers has also put together a unique career worthy of accolades he's finally starting to get them watch for that tomorrow and see if that's not you know part of how the narrative goes whether it's questions asked to Kirby Smart or the way Bowers himself gets treated now Brock doesn't want any of this Brock would rather not even be there I'm sure uh he's just not someone who seeks out the uh, spotlight but in this particular case with apologies to Brock when you're as good as he is that's just going to be coming your way that's the way that it should be and so he is hopefully going to get the attention deserved tomorrow whether he wants it or not uh beyond that though I think there's some other questions to be asked uh, about what's going on in Georgia and on the field probably the biggest especially for the kind of like let me let me let me, let me put it kind of like say sort of mainstream minded people who might be uh, at sec media days some of the kind of basic type questions that get asked in a big venue like this big auditorium with people of various credentialing that that, that kind of find their way into a room like this a lot of stuff is going to center around quarterback and I think one of the sort of initial questions here is, is this still an ongoing competition? Is this a fight among equals between, like, say, Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift and also Gunnar Stockton there as well? Or based on what we saw during spring, specifically with our own eyes on G-Day, is this an example of Carson Beck having distanced himself from the other quarterbacks here? And is he, you know, presumably the starting quarterback, whether he's actually named that way or not? This is one of those things where you kind of know the MO for Kirby Smart here. He doesn't like to overtly say certain things, but that doesn't mean that Kirby Smart, over the course of his time and tenure as UGA coach, that doesn't mean that Kirby Smart isn't more than willing to leave you some clues from here and there. And honestly, that's to me the way that Kirby sort of operates in these media settings. Kirby is not going to be explicit. Well, he sometimes uses explicit language, but in, in terms of how he speaks in a, in a situation like this, he is not going to explicitly state, I mean, in other words, clearly state certain things, uh, but he is more than happy at times to imply certain things. And you may think, well, Kirby Smart's not likely to reveal very much about what's going on with the quarterback situation, but the truth is, is that Kirby's kind of body language subliminal messaging whatever else may tell you all you need to know about where things actually stand with the quarterback spot at Georgia whether Beck is named as the starter or not and if you don't believe me let me give you an example from the past here for a moment let's go back to 2016 
or actually let's go like 2017 after the 2016 season you're transitioning to Kirby Smart's second year this is a program at that point in time that had not really achieved very much they'd only been eight and five in the first year the idea of going to the college football playoff uh as they would do later on that fall seemed like a faint possibility but in terms of how Kirby Smart talked about quarterback going into what would have been his second year as Georgia coach back then, I think gave you a hint about what was to come. Jacob Eason had been the 2016 starter. He had been a Gatorade player of the year as a uh, five-star recruit before coming to UGA. And yet Kirby was more than happy during that offseason moving into Easton's second year. He was more than happy to leave the door open for a guy like Jake Fromm stepping in and becoming the eventual starting quarterback, something that did happen. If Kirby Smart believes this competition is open, if Kirby Smart believes someone like Brock Vandergrave has a chance to overtake Carson Beck, then Kirby will probably drop hints to that effect because that is what he has done in the past. And if you don't believe me, listen to this as a reminder. Jake Fromm's a talented young man who's going to come in here and compete he's that's why he's here mid-year he's here to learn to compete he has a really good understanding he was really coached well in high school and played in a system that was um, complicated from a scheme standpoint and coverage standpoint so he comes in ahead of your your normal average freshman so he's going out there with the intent of competing for that job and winning over the team and that's what we expect him to come out and compete and do so if something like that could happen with Brock Vandegrift and something like that could happen with a Gunner Stockton, Kirby Smart probably won't work too hard to keep that a secret. He'll allude to it. He'll make reference to it the same way that he did with Jake Fromm. And yes, I know Fromm initially stepped in in 2017 because of an Eason injury. That's true. But eventually Eason was healthy again and he never saw the field again because Georgia trusted Jake Fromm. And it sounds like, based on that comment from Kirby Smart, they trusted him before the season even began listen to how Kirby talks quarterbacks this week using stuff that he would have said way back in 2017 as some context there now by the way speaking of Jake Fromm if we presume for a moment that Carson Beck is the starting quarterback which honestly I believe is probably the case but if we assume for a moment that Carson Beck is the starting quarterback there are going to be questions asked around him and about him here this week too and some of those as I mentioned to Jake Fromm on Friday's show I think sort of set him up to be treated unfairly I guess is maybe the best way to say that because we know what the Georgia schedule looks like if a guy like Beck goes out there and puts up huge numbers it'll be easy to dismiss some of that as what's well, just a, simply a function of who you're playing Tennessee Martin Ball State UAB and if somehow Carson Beck in the early stages of his UGA career does less than that if he doesn't have very many impressive performances then all of a sudden it becomes the kind of thing that you hang around his neck and say oh maybe he's not ready as I told Jake Fromm it potentially sets up to be a situation where Beck can't impress because of who Georgia plays but could disappoint it's a no win possible lose uh, situation in the at least in the early stages for Carson Beck if you're not careful about how that narrative forms around him and some of the formation of that narrative will begin this week with SEC media days in fact on the idea of that point this is what Jake Fromm said about that from our show on Friday yeah 100 percent I mean that's a pretty uh fair angle I would say uh to take at it um you know there's a lot of times in my career where I felt like there was more pressure on me to perform and and games like you talked about you know kind of those uh, kind of easy schedule games, um, you know, kind of early in the year where, hey, like I, I'm expected to go out and throw for 300 yards, three touchdowns, and complete 90% of my balls, right? So, you know, on, on a, in a sense, there's a lot of pressure around that to perform because that's what's expected of you. 
Um, but, man, you are a, a Georgia quarterback and a Georgia football player, so there's always high expectations, uh, especially right now where they're at in their program. So, and I think that's a very interesting evaluation for a guy like Fromm who has been in this situation before. He's obviously handled that. He's obviously kind of faced a lot of that head on. In fact, he knows the kind of pressure that will begin mounting on a guy like Beck if he is the starter as soon as this week and obviously throughout the rest of the season there as well. In fact, you know, I kind of asked, you know, Jake on the show on Friday, you know, is this fun? At one point in time, I remember at the Tennessee game in 2019, uh, from, you know, said something to the effect of, hey, I just wanted to make sure I went out there and had fun today. And I asked Jake on Friday, he said, you know, is it is it is is it hard to have fun being an SEC quarterback? Because Beck's about to find that out. He's not going to be at SEC media days this week, but you better believe he will be the subject of much of the chatter around UGA at SEC media days this week. And Beck's about to find out what the pressure feels like uh, around a uh, job like this, and when you're inserted into a job like this. And certainly Jake Fromm knew that full well over the course of the three year tenure when he was Georgia uh, quarterback. And this is what Fromm sort of said about that. But the idea of how you handle the pressure and how 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 potentially difficult it is to have fun and just sort of be yourself in the midst of so many eyeballs being on you. Beck may be about to find this out. This is what Jake Fromm said about that on Friday. There's a lot of pressure, of course, you know, of what's going on uh, around you. Uh, you know, you have coaches' lives and families and, and salaries at stake. Uh, you got programs, um, you know, with the hopes of, of winning a national championship. Um, you got, you know, the fans' emotional well-being at stake, um, and you have a lot of teammates too. You know, who you want to, um, you know, to do the best for and you care for. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, and man, sometimes you just have to be able to pull yourself out of the situation, step back, look at it all as a huge blessing uh, of what it is that we get to be athletes out here playing a, a kid's game um, and and go out and play and, and have a little fun. And a lot of times it is tough to do, but man, if you can and find a way to enjoy it, find joy in it, um, I think you'll end up being a lot more of a successful athlete and a successful person. That's one of the most honest admissions I've ever heard about the quarterback position in the SEC. Jake Fromm essentially said, listen, I got fans, their emotional well-being's at stake. I got a coach, his livelihood's at stake. He needs this job to feed his family. And all of that is kind of contingent on how well I play. Like That's a pretty honest admission. That's why I love having Jake Fromm on the show. And as someone who's been in the role that Carson Beck's about to be in, and a guy like Beck who's about to be dis- dissected every way he can be at SEC Media Days this week, I think that is a good job by Jake Fromm, sort of setting the stage for exactly what the stakes will be if it is indeed Carson Beck, who becomes the Georgia starting quarterback. Lots of questions being asked about that this week. Now, I've gone long, so let me squeeze this in really, really quick. Another big question this week is, what about Mike Bobo ascending back to the role of Georgia offensive coordinator again after working underneath Todd Munkin a year ago and after having been UG offensive coordinator back during the Mark Richt era before becoming head coach at Colorado State and taking a couple of uh, detours you know, kind of after that. You know, what can we expect from Mike Bobo this year? How much of what Bobo will do as OC is a continuation of what Todd Munkin did so successfully over the course of the last couple of years? Well, I would presume that few people probably know Bobo better than Mark Rick does. And I asked Coach Rick when he was on our show on Thursday about the evolution of Mike Bobo as a coach from where he was back when he was uh, Rick's lieutenant in the early 2000s to where he is now, once again, working underneath Kirby Smart here back at George as play caller uh, once again. And Coach Rick on Thursday uh, when he was on our show was more than happy to kind of talk about the path, the progression of Bobo as a coach and the evolution of who he is as a man as he returns to George on the mission of go for three and 23 for these dogs. This is Coach Rick on Coach Bobo. 
you nailed it on the head. You know, things keep evolving, things keep changing, and there's new ideas and people. Uh, you know, when I think the key is when you see a good idea, you recognize it and you and you implement it. And but it's one thing to put in something systematically, and it's another thing to really teach it. Because you can have a great strategy, but if your tactics aren't very good, if your fundamentals aren't very good, then it's going to be tough to be, you know, successful on any side of the ball. But you know, here's one thing about Mike: philosophically, he's old school as far as mental and physical toughness and you have to have that in the southeastern conference you need it on the field you need in recruiting you need to know what it takes to get the job done in the league and mike gets that that's one of the things i really enjoyed about him the most i think that's really well said by a guy who obviously knows coach bobo very well but also just knows the act of coaching really well it's such a pleasure to have mark richt on our show on thursday and to hear him say hey listen mike bobo understands the physical and mental toughness required to succeed in the SEC. And in addition to that, he's also evolved over the course of time, having learned from Todd Munkin, having learned from other coaches that he's been around. And all of that will be at George's disposal this season. Mark Rick seems to suggest they're right there. So that, to me, is a little bit of a preview about some of what you'll hear tomorrow, especially on the offensive side of the ball. The emergence of Brock Bowers as not just one of George's best players, but a historic figure potential in the SEC and one of the best tight ends in recent memory in the entire sport. The development of Carson Beck as a starting quarterback and his ability to withstand all the pressure that's coming his way from the word go on that and how he works with a guy like Mike Bobo back at Georgia, a name that Georgia fans feel like they know well, but maybe an evolved version of the coach who would have been here back in the early 2000s. When the dogs have their turn on the stage tomorrow in Nashville at SEC Media Days, I think the conversation around UGA is going to be fascinating. We all know the mission, go for three and 23. But on a day like tomorrow, the discussion is about the path. How do you get there? Tomorrow, we may start to find out. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And we are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we're available as a podcast. Apple, Spotify, posting the show at worldfamousdognation.com. We are just really happy to have you with us here, and we really appreciate our friends at Pella Window Indoor of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, a lot of you all homeowners, and you know how important it is to take good care of your home because it kind of represents a couple of things for you. It's sort of the source of your I guess sort of greatest emotional investments where you have some of your happiest and best memories, but it's also an incredible financial investment for you too. Uh, you know, it represents a significant portion of your net worth potentially, but it also represents one of those things that at one point in time, maybe you are in the market to sell that home and you want to put yourself in the best position to demand the most money for your home when it's time to sell it. And that's where our friends at Palo Window and Door of Georgia could pay off in a really big way for you because equipping your house with energy efficient windows and doors is one of the best decisions you can make. It makes your home feel better on the inside, makes it look better on the outside, and it's just the best way to take care of something that truly matters to you. That is your own home. So if you're in the market, if you kind of wintertime you sort of feel that little draft you know that draft kind of never feels too good right that 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 air on the inside that's not supposed to be there or in the uh, summertime you just sort of feel like the air condition that you spend so much money on it's just sort of escaping out of the house like there's nothing worse than 
pumping all that cold air in only to have it escape onto the outside where it is not supposed to be. That's where energy efficient windows and doors can really, really help you. So maybe it's time to have a conversation with one of those Pella experts. It's a no pressure consultation. There's no pushing. There's no prodding. It's just simply about educating. What is it that makes the Pella product so special? Why is it the BA talks about it so much each and every week? What is going on here? You can learn why homeowner after homeowner and survey after survey here in our market area year after year have recognized Pella windows and doors as the market leader in terms of this kind of product and you can go visit them in their experience center there in Duluth you can put your hands and feel what makes it different why is it better it's time to educate yourself about that or you can start your experience online Pella of GA.com slash dog nation that's Pella of GA.com slash dog nation give them a call 678-638-1429 and you can as I said before stop by and see Mark Andrew Luth there too between now and July 31st you can also get special savings as well 10% off your entire project or no payments no interest for 12 months just make sure when you stop by and talk to them or when you reach out to them online or by phone you tell them that BA from dog nation daily said that they would take good care of you because i know they will uh tell them i sent you and they'll take good care of you because pella window and door of georgia is truly viewed to be the best all right we've got a couple of things coming up first of all in a couple of minutes i've got a big update on a brand new contest that we're debuting here on dog nation daily today that's going to be a lot of fun uh, our good friend connor riley stops by mike uh, john stench comes actually on a uh, royal caribbean cruise vacation this week so that's kind of cool to see him uh, enjoying some of the things that we talk about enjoying around here that's a really cool thing to be able to see but it's also the kickoff to sec media day so connor riley will help us with that here coming up in just a moment there live from nashville that'll be a good time prior to that though let's get ready to go around the doghouse poured today by our friends at dr pepper strawberries and cream brand new introduction uh from them really cool new beverage we'll tell you more about that coming up in just a moment but for now uh, a lot of folks were paying very close attention this weekend as the ncaa gave its ruling on tennessee and a serious uh collection of uh i guess level one violations serious infractions uh, i'll have some more thoughts on the whole tennessee situation later on in fact my take on tennessee may be somewhat surprising not everyone's gonna love it but i still want to talk about it nonetheless because I think it's kind of an interesting viewpoint into how college sports actually operate kind of on the inside. I'll give you more on that in a moment. But what a lot of Georgia fans kind of noticed, it was the Knoxville News Sentinel that had, I guess, the uh, reporting on this, is that in the midst of kind of detailing all the infractions that went on and all the no-nos and wrongdoings that the uh, Tennessee coaches were allegedly a, a part of, one of the names that came up in all of this was Darnell Washington. Now, Darnell eventually went to Georgia but while he was a junior in high school, was really being courted by Tennessee and apparently in a not quite so legal in terms of the NCAA kind of way. Dog Nation wrote about this over the course of the weekend. Let me read you a little bit of what Connor wrote, citing some of the Knoxville News Sentinel reporting. Uh, Connor writing that a recent report from Mike Wilson of the Knoxville News Sentinel shows that former Tennessee assistant Brian Niedermeyer. Let me pause here for a moment. Niedermeyer is also interesting because y'all remember I, I tried to find this tweet this morning and I, I guess it's gone I, I know at one point in time I had uh, made fun of this and even I couldn't find my, my own old tweet about this but uh, Niedermeyer was the Tennessee assistant who was also making fun of Georgia when Tennessee hired Jim Chaney the famous line there was big bank takes little bank uh, and he was kind of laughing about that now what's ridiculous is the idea that you ever bragged about stealing Jim Chaney from Georgia in the first place that's that's what's ridiculous number one. Second of all it's worth going out of your way to read some of what's been reported about Niedermeyer on the heels of all of this 
There are some details of the story around him that do not make him look very good. I'm just going to be very honest with you about that. The idea that he's a grown man in his profession, yet he's still sharing a bank account with his parents, and he's hiding expenses from his parents because he said that he had a girlfriend who had very expensive tastes. Like The whole thing just sounds so immature i guess and so beneath the dignity of what an sec football coach should be so a guy at one point in time who tried to make some bones on social media by laughing at georgia seems like some uga fans are getting the last laugh today on niedermeyer you can't help but notice that anyway back to the story at hand though so niedermeyer working as a tennessee assistant committed numerous violations while recruiting Darnell Washington, Niedermeyer reportedly gave Washington $750 in cash during a January 2019 visit to Washington's high school. Washington was a junior at Desert Pines High School at the time. During two visits Washington took to Tennessee in 2019, the volunteers gave Washington impermissible benefits totaling $1,713. NCAA documents show that Washington received benefits in the form of free lodging on one occasion, free meals on two occasions, and UT apparel on two occasions. Now, why would they try to dress him in that Tennessee apparel? That <laughs> Listen, how much money would somebody have to give you to dress you in Tennessee apparel? I guess that's the first question. It'd take a lot more than $1,700 for me to want to wear that ugly orange like that. But this is obviously not a, you know, a great look for Tennessee, and this is not anywhere close to, like I guess, the most egregious things they were accused of doing in the midst of all of this. Jeremy Pruitt's one that ends up taking it all on the chin. But clearly, Darnell Washington kind of draws the attention of Georgia fans here because that's the guy that eventually went to UGA. Now, let me tell you how I take all of this. We live in a day and age where now NIL is a big part of the recruiting process. And in the midst of a lot of that recruiting, I think there is the assumption made on the part of some that now money is the only thing that matters. That if you want to win the big recruit, if you've got the money, that sort of does all the talking for you, and you don't need anything else other than that. Well, I think we see here in the Darnell Washington recruitment an example of potentially how kind of not true that is. That even in the midst of giving someone money, in the absence of relationship, all you're going to have is a lighter bank account and the player somewhere else. That money is still not a substitute for relationship. It wasn't a substitute in the Darnell Washington situation, and it wasn't a and is not a substitute now. And let's face it, you know the idea that and. I'm obviously on the record, not willing to stipulate there have been improper benefits over the years. But in a world in which that was true, where where there were improper benefits paid out over the years, I think people would be surprised to find out how common situations like this are, where School X gave Player Y money only to have Player Y go to School Z. That <laughs> There's just probably a lot more of this that's gone on in the past than the average person probably realizes. In fact, if you're a recruit, and over the course of your time, especially over, you know, years ago, if you wanted to make every school in the world feel like they were very much in it for you, and when you took a visit to this school, that's the greatest school you ever went to. When you took a visit to this school, that was the greatest school you ever went to. All of a sudden, it starts to make a lot more sense why certain recruits over the course of the years would have done something like that. Uh, when you hear stories like this, I'm not stipulating that's what happened, but but you could you could foresee a set of circumstances for how that could have happened, I guess I would say like that. And it just sort of goes to show you, that money alone is not enough to buy a relationship and then ultimately even in an nil agent which we live in now which honestly a lot of this stuff is probably a lot more if not permissible outright you know encouraged right but in the even in the midst of the nil world in which we live in now money is still not a substitute for relationship that that you may be able to give some money to a player but if that player doesn't have a good relationship with you he'll take your money and go somewhere else he's more than happy to take the money 
but he's not going to trust himself to you on the basis of money alone. At least smart players, wise players are not going to do that. And those that are helping players make those decisions won't encourage them to do that either. So it's just an important thing to keep in mind that, yes, we now have at the forefront, not whisper campaigns, McDonald's bags or whatever it is that Tennessee was accused of doing. We now have money at the forefront of the college recruiting discussion in a way that's never been before. But money without relationship, all that equals is a guy who may take the money and go somewhere else. George has obviously been much better over the course of years, certainly than Tennessee and most of the program too, of cultivating relationships. And this is not a place that players need to be worried about not getting what they deserve, NIL-wise and things like that. Of course, uh, players at George are going to have more than their fair share of opportunities to cash in. In fact, Brock Bowers, we talked about before, may be a great example of all that. You see Bowers involved in lots of advertising campaigns and things like that. He's making legitimate traditional NIL revenue right now, and a lot of Georgia players are going to have their chance to do the very same thing. But at Georgia, it's never going to be just money alone. It's going to be money plus relationship. And there are a lot of programs who probably a little further down the food chain than what Georgia is right now, and all they have is money. They don't seem to be able to cultivate those relationships. They don't be able, seem to be able to cultivate those recruiting bonds and those you know relational agreements. And I would say that if you can't form that before a player joins your campus – you're not going to be able to join that after he joins your campus. And those are the guys that become, uh, you know, very likely candidates to transfer out of the program there as well. So I think stories like this, when they pop up, we'll have more on the Tennessee thing a little bit later on. I think they stand as a little bit of a blueprint for how the recruiting apparatus is supposed to work. You can't deny the role that money plays in this, especially now in the NIL age. But you better be careful denying the things beyond money that also matter here forging relationships players trusting coaches mamas trusting coaches with their sons that kind of stuff is quaint and old-fashioned as it seems that that still matters that still matters that uh most players hopefully are going to be able to see through uh, you're throwing a little bit of cash here and a little bit of cash there but beyond that what else can you offer me that's the most important question that maybe a recruit could ask and i think a lot more recruits are asking questions like that than maybe the average fan realize so we'll make that around the doghouse it's for today by our friends at dr pepper strawberries and cream of course love dr pepper so happy to have them as a part of around the doghouse and so happy to be able to tell you but a brand new a brand new offering from dr pepper that you might not be aware of dr pepper strawberries and cream there's also dr pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar this is an incredible flavor from uh, dr pepper made with the same great care that the dr pepper you've been enjoying for many many years uh has been made with it's really worth a try you can go by and see it in local kroger or wherever you're doing your grocery shopping brand new permanent beverage offering from our friends at dr pepper give it a try and see if you don't agree with me that it's just like all the other great offerings that dr pepper's given you over the years but a brand new twist brand new flavor this is a lot of fun and great to have dr pepper strawberries and cream and dr pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar with this as a part of around the doghouse here today all right let me give you a quick update on something that begins today there too i teased this on friday i want to give you more details on this here right now it's the brand new contest kicking off for dog nation as we honor some of the great teachers in our audience so here's how it's going to work we're going to celebrate some outstanding teachers here over the course of the uh, next couple of weeks and the good news is is that not only does the 
are, are we going to have a handful of teachers who are big winners? We're also going to give a prize to some of our nominators there as well. If you nominate one of our winners, you have a chance to win a $50 Kroger gift card and a Dog Nation gift pack, which is going to include all kinds of really cool stuff, a value there of $100. So our nominators, if you make the nomination, you have a chance to win. And then, of course, our teachers who are going to be honored here for the great things they do there as well. How about a $50 gift card to Target, $50 gift card to Home Chef, $50 gift card to Bath & Body Works, and a $100 gift card to Kroger for our teacher winners. That's a value of, of course, $250 on all of that. So the submission period is going to start today and run through August 4th. And then the week of August 7th through the 11th, that's when we're going to announce our winners. And I said before, it's not just the teachers who get a chance to win here. If you nominate a great teacher, you could be a winner there as well. So here's all you got to do. Go to dognation.com and right there at dognation.com, the brand new great look of dognation.com, but right there at dognation.com, all the details that you need to be uh, nominating a great teacher and celebrating some great teachers here as we get ready to get back to school. And of course, Kroger's got you covered for everything you need for back to school right now. And it's not too soon to start thinking about that. Sorry for you kids out there and you teachers who are listening who are also thinking about going back. But either way, almost time for back to school. Kroger wants to celebrate teachers. So go to dognation.com, nominate a great teacher in your life. You could be a big winner for doing that. And the teacher gets a big collection of prizes there as well. So throughout the week, we'll be pumping this, letting you know about that. And then we'll announce them coming up here the week of August 7th through the 11th. That is going to be incredible as these uh, great teachers have a chance to win four terrific gift cards. So go to dognation.com for more details and your chance to nominate a big winner there today. All right, we have gone crazy long. Wow, crazy long. All right, so let us uh, move on here. We got Connor Riley in uh, Nashville. I appreciate him standing by and apologize for uh, <laughs> for holding him up. But we want to get into everything about to happen at SEC Media Days this week. Some of the questions I posed about Georgia a moment ago, some of Connor's own there as well. So what do you say we cover all that ground right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So happy to have Connor Riley here. He is up in Nashville where I'm imagining it's going to be a pretty spirited week of uh, SEC media days. I'm going to cover some of that ground here right now. And Connor, I sort of laid out some things involving Georgia before the show began today. And you and I had a brief conversation this morning where you brought up a different point, which I think is also worth mentioning here there as well, too, is is that, you know, we may see Georgia treated a little bit different going into this year's SEC media days. We've often seen in the past, even the midst of a national championship offseason a year ago, Alabama was still the preseason number one. So in some respects, I don't mean to say this in kind of a low self-esteem way, but it's just a fact that Georgia was still somewhat playing second fiddle to Alabama at SEC media days a year ago because Bama was picked to win the league and picked to be the preseason number one team do we finally see maybe for the first time not just in your lifetime but maybe even my lifetime do we finally see georgia treated as the unquestioned top dog in the sec at media days this week to answer that i'm going to say no because i think the reason that georgia is number one it's not because there's a steadfast belief in georgia and what this program is at this point it's more because there are too many questions about alabama lsu you know well, yes, I think there's reason to be excited about them. They have a good bit more to prove. Tennessee lost a lot of talent off that offense from a season ago, and they have not yet earned sort of the benefit of the doubt that that offense is going to be year in, year out, excellent under Josh Heupel there. So I think in regards to this year in particular, part of it is 
the other questions surrounding other programs is why Georgia's sort of seen as the number one team. But, you know, Georgia itself isn't without its questions, and they're going to have plenty of them this week, and most of them are related to the football field. Uh, you know, you do have to replace a Heisman Trophy uh, finalist in Stetson Bennett. You have a new offensive coordinator in Mike Bobo stepping in for the very successful Todd Munkin. On the defensive side of the ball, you have to replace major stars in Chris Smith and Jalen Carter, who were first-team All-Americans, not to mention NFL draft picks, Keely Ringo and Nolan Smith. So there are questions that Georgia is going to have to answer this week, but because of the fact that a year ago that was a team that lost 15 draft picks to the NFL and and stepped up and went 15-0 and in the following season, and in some cases was a better team in 2022 than they were in 2021, I think in that way it has earned them this week the benefit of the doubt. And if they go out and do what I think they're going to be predicted to do at the SEC Media Days this week and, and win the SEC this season – I do think that, you know, this time next year, we're fully talking about them as even though they have things to replace, and even though they have guys to replace, they are the clear-cut standard in college football, and they are the team that everyone is fully chasing. I do think they'll get that, that treatment this week, but I think that's perhaps more so because of the questions surrounding Alabama, because LSU, I think, still has a few more steps to climb, uh, and because Tennessee is just, you know, we need to see them do it more than once uh, to believe that they are a real true contender. Uh, in the SEC. I don't want to steal f- from what you're writing at dognation.com, but you gave me a stat this morning that I was not aware of. How long has it been since Georgia was the media's pick here at Media Days to win the SEC? Yeah, last time that happened was 2004, and I would point out that season, Georgia did not end up making it to the SEC championship game. They lost to Auburn and Tennessee, and those were the two teams that ended up playing for the SEC championship that season. So I think I did the math last night. Of the 31 times that the SEC media members have voted on the preseason champion, only nine of those times have they gotten that correct. Uh, and most of those, I believe five of those times, have been Nick Saban Alabama teams of late. So it is not always necessarily a, a slam dunk that you're going to win the conference. Even Alabama last year was picked to win the conference overwhelmingly, might I add. And they did not, in fact, end up making it to Atlanta. But I, I do think, and, and again, you know, it's talking season. It's not, you know, most of the stuff you're going to hear this week is not going to have uh, very much of an impact on this coming season. I do think it's significant that Georgia, a program that has won two national championships, has been one of the clear best programs in the country in recent years. Uh, the fact that this week there's probably going to be the second time in program history they're picked to win the SEC at SEC Media Days, a key institution in sort of the way we talk about college football, I do think that says something about where this program is. I talked about Carson Beck a little bit before you joined us, and the point that I made is is that if this is still an open competition and if someone other than Beck has a chance, whether it be at the beginning of the season or during the season, to emerge as the starting quarterback, as history being used as a guide, I don't think that Kirby Smart will try very hard to keep that a secret. You know, I go back to 2017, I played some audio before you joined us, of Kirby talking up Jake Fromm in a very big way, even though Jacob Eason, by all appearances, would have been the established starter but it seemed like Kirby knew that Fromm was a guy he could trust even before that season began and that to me sort of stands as I guess a little bit of a template for how Kirby could talk here about a Vandegrift I guess he'd be the number two guy or a Gunnar Stockton if he wanted to but if we don't hear that then to me I'm left to conclude what context clues would probably already lead you to believe which is that Carson Beck is Georgia's starting quarterback and for the most part will be treated that way, whether he's announced as such or not. What do you think we hear from Kirby in particular about quarterback this week? 
Yeah, I think he's going to try and downplay it, and I'll be interested in seeing what both Cedric Van Pran and Brock Bowers have to say about Carson and the Georgia quarterback position as a whole, because I do think those guys might be a little bit more revealing, slash they'll be perhaps a little less guarded. I think Kirby knows that every word he says about this quarterback position is going to be overanalyzed and, and diced up. And, you know, you do want to give Brock Bauer, or Brock Vandergriff, excuse me, confidence, Gunnar Stockton confidence in the way in which you talk about them. Because, look, we've seen time and time again, you know, quarterbacks in this league get hurt. You know, Bryce Young did not play in every game last season for Alabama. Uh, Jaden Daniels for LSU uh, did not make it through the season and, and was not fully healthy throughout the course of the year there. You know, Stetson Bennett last year was a little bit of an anomaly in terms of being able to make it through the season fully healthy. Uh, you can even look at JT Daniels in 2021. Uh, so uh, there are, and then obviously Jacob Eason in 2017, there are recent examples from Georgia's perspective of guys not starting quarterbacks who had all the belief and talent in the world, but they couldn't quite stay healthy. And, you know, the backup came in and the backup shined in both Jake Fromm and Seth Bennett's case. So I think Kirby knows that he's got to both inspire confidence in Carson Beck while not making it super obvious that he is the clear-cut guy because there might come a time this year, probably will be, where Georgia's going to need a backup quarterback to come in and make plays and sort of guide and lead that offense. So, you know, I expect him to be complimentary of Carson, but I don't expect him to come out here and overly praise him and make it obvious that he is Georgia's quarterback, Georgia's starting quarterback for the 2023 season. You wrote a story over the weekend about some of the reporting that came out of Knoxville about the NCAA ruling against the uh, Vols, and obviously one of the things that kind of get mixed up there is the Darnell Washington thing. You know, I don't think this reflects too much on Georgia one way or another. I mean, obviously it's a little bit of a curiosity for UGA fans because a guy they like was sort of mixed up in the Tennessee story. That's going to make you know some headlines down here just because it's semi-interesting. But in terms of this having any kind of like connection to Georgia, I don't really see that. Do you have a take beyond just the actual facts on the fact that uh, Darnell Washington was one of the recruits who got you know the alleged impermissible benefits from Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, not really. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's semi, I guess, fair to wonder, well, if he's taking money from Tennessee, did he take money from Georgia? But, again, Tennessee was super sloppy with this, and, and then when it became clear that they could use this as a way to get out from Jeremy Pruitt, I think they were just like, you know what, damn the torpedoes. We're going to we're gonna take every hit we possibly can to get out from under this and move on. And I think for the most part that has worked. And in, in, in going from Jeremy Pruitt to Josh Heupel, I think, you know, even if Heupel never wins a national championship there, he's been a clear upgrade over what Pruitt was doing. And, you know, all this stuff comes out about Pruitt and his staff there this week and just the level of brazenness that they were willing to go to to try and cheat. And they go 3-7 and seven during the 2020 season. Yeah, it's a pandemic season. It's a Mickey Mouse championship. I get and understand all that. But you know, that was a program that was not heading in the right direction. And Tennessee, you know, as much as they've had to take it on the chin and, and take an $8 million uh, fine from the NCAA and, you know, have a reduction of scholarships and, and obviously have some embarrassing moments come out of this, I think ultimately you can look at this and the way things have so far turned out and say, yeah, Tennessee probably made the right decision. As far as the way it relates to Georgia, uh, again, you know, Darnell's off in the NFL playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers now. Uh, you know, there's not been anything found as regards to his recruitment at Georgia in terms of it being legal or anything along those lines. And so, you know, this is just a thing. And Darnell Washington was not the only guy that Tennessee was trying to recruit during uh, Jeremy Pruitt's time that ended up at Georgia. I'm sure there are others that, you know, there are similar things out there that could potentially be pieced together. 
but the reality is, you know, this was Jeremy Pruitt and his staff being really sloppy, being really brazen, and then ultimately not being good enough to get the wins on the field, which led to sort of Tennessee airing all this out. In the time we have left, I want to pull back and look at SEC Media Days as a whole here for a moment. And, Connor, this is kind of inside baseball, I guess, but I think it really matters. I think the league's got a pretty big challenge this week. I think the league has to try to cast some sort of vision or narrative, whatever word you want to use here, that makes this season seem more interesting than what's about to happen 12 months from now. Because if they're not careful, the majority of the questions, certainly centering on Greg Sankey today, the SEC commissioner, and then a lot of the other stuff you know, here this week – could end up being about what's going to happen next year once Texas and Oklahoma get in the league and the league does away with divisions and all the change that could be on the way there. It's kind of a lame duck year both for this league and college football at large because we're about to also expand to a 12-team playoff next year too. And I think it would be doing a disservice to this particular season, the players currently playing in the league, to make all of this just sort of seem like a biding your time type of thing before you get to next year. Now, here at Dog Nation, we're fairly immune to this because Georgia's go for three and 23 that dominates our conversation but if you're another SEC team if you're not careful this just sort of seems like to use a phrase I used a moment ago truly sort of a lame duck year that is you know kind of a footnote to history the the last thing of the old of the old period before the new thing sort of begins next year I think Greg Sankey's got an important leadership role today to make sure he makes it seem other than that because if you're because if you're not careful that's the trap you could fall into is go for three and twenty three what you're really calling it? Go for three. You really want Georgia to be? You want Georgia to be settling for field goals? I don't know if I can get behind that. I, I, I get I get go for two because that's an aggressive mindset. You want that? Good point. Settling for field goals. That's. I think you got some work to do there. Good point. As far as as Grant Sankey and SEC this week, I'm really interested in how much we hear about Texas and Oklahoma this week. I mean, sure there are going to be questions about it. There, with, with Jimbo Fisher speaking today, I'm sure he's probably going to get asked about Texas and Oklahoma joining the league. But ultimately, I, I do think you're right. And this is, you know, and again, college football is a sport as a whole. It is a sport that often is thought about years in advance because of the way that it is set up, because of the way recruiting is followed. Uh, it sometimes, certainly in the off season, becomes hard to focus and stay in the present. And, and I think this week, as you point out, that's going to be a challenge because I think Georgia is going to be seen as sort of a runaway favorite to win the conference. You know, Alabama is not the program that they have been recently. And so, you know, you'll have some questions about that. But, uh, you know, again, how much are we talking about the potential to go to a nine-game schedule in 2025? How much are we talking about, you know, what a 12-team play? How many SEC teams can we get in the 12-team playoff? Uh, it'll be very easily for the SEC and these coaches to, and these players as well to sort of get off track and start answering questions that, quite frankly, a lot of these guys, certainly the players, might not be around to answer in two years. And, and so I think with that in mind, again, you know, this is sort of, in a way, a celebration of SEC football. It is sort of the kickoff as we sort of start to get closer to college football. Uh, ball camps start roughly two weeks from today. And so with all that in mind, I think you're starting to get to a point where, as you point out, we're no longer just looking at this 2023 season from an SEC standpoint and celebrating the great players, the great coaches, the great teams and moments in this conference. We're already sort of looking past that and trying to get to bigger and better, and that might not necessarily be the case, as we've seen with some examples of expansion over the years. And so with that in mind, I'm interested in the tone 
that Sankey strikes. Obviously, he can't you know generate the questions he's being asked and only answer them the best way that he can. But how much is the focus on this 2023 football season and sort of turning that into an attention, into the main attraction? What will that be like? Because I do think that the SEC is probably once again positioned to be the best conference in college football. And how does Greg Sankey go about, you know, saying that and then reinforcing that idea, even if he's asked so many questions about what the league might look like a year, two years from now? All right, let me squeeze in one more thing on uh, a show that's sort of trending to be about two hours long, if I'm not careful. Um you're kind of like me in the fact that you just sort of like all this. I mean, you know, obviously I'm very interested in Georgia and I think about the other SEC teams from kind of how they impact Georgia. But beyond that, I also just like SEC football. I'm interested in what the other teams are trying to do to get better, take the next step, who won't be able to do that. I think those stories are fascinating on their own for reasons that have nothing to do with Georgia. So from that standpoint, what are you interested in this week? I feel like some of these topics we probably exhausted a bit, but you know, what is interesting to you about the SEC this week in kind of the arena that maybe doesn't have anything to do with Georgia? I am very interested in seeing what Billy Napier has to say and the tone and tenor that he takes when he addresses the media. Uh, we've talked about this before. What was over under entering the season is five and a half, and there's a very real world where they don't make a bowl game this season because of the schedule that they play and because of sort of the talent that they are working with there. And so, you know, on the one hand, does Billy Napier come out this week and try and set expectations and in some ways lower them for what he thinks might be a tough season? And if that's the case, man, if you're year two at Florida, when you've seen, you know, Sonny Dykes year one go to a national championship game, Lincoln Riley pretty quickly flip USC around. Uh, even Josh Heupel, you know, get to a bowl and then year two win a um, – to win the Orange Bowl, you, you've seen coaches come in and flip programs really quickly. If you're Billy Napier and you're up here talking about a slow rebuild, you wonder how much longer he's really going to be around there, just given, you know, Florida is a marquee program in the conference. And, yeah, like it wasn't in a great space great space roster-wise when Dan Mullen left, but I, I kind of just don't think that's an excuse to, to do what Billy Napier has done so far and, and sort of the struggles that we have seen that Florida program undergo. We hear so much talk about Georgia's schedule and why it's not better. I think a big reason why is because Florida just is not a very good program right now. And, and if Florida is the Florida that, heck, it even was, you know, Urban Meyer, not even necessarily Urban Meyer, but there's early Will Muschamp years. Uh, you know, obviously, time was when Dan Mullen and Jim McElwain were there and outright winning the SEC East. I do think that that is going to be interesting to me in terms of the tone that Billy Napier takes and how he sort of sets and manages expectations for a Florida season that doesn't look like it's going to be a very fun one. No, I think that's really good, Connor. I appreciate your insight. I'm looking forward to reading everything you write there uh, at dognation.com in the next few days. I'm sure you'll be popping on video a lot there too, and I'll be watching that there as well. It's, it's a cool thing. I'm glad to have you there for it. I'm frankly thankful to be back here on the home front sleep in my own bed this week so that's kind of nice there as well so somebody's going to be there i'm glad you're there to do it and we'll uh, maybe check in with you here at some point in time there as well thanks for your uh, time and we'll uh, talk to you soon yep as always it's a pleasure let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through i think connor brings up a really good point about billy napier there and it, here's what leads me to say I think we have this, for those of us who kind of follow SEC Media Days and have a little bit of a picture in our mind of what this event looks like, I think we have this assumption that every coach wants to go there 
and do everything he can to avoid saying anything interesting whatsoever. And no doubt about it, there are plenty of coaches who want to do that. They don't like to be there. They want to kind of run out the clock. And they're there to say as little as possible, uh, we want to play tough physical football. We want to play defense. We want to stop the run. You know, stuff like that. And then just get out of there. And I understand that. But over the course of time, that is not always every coach's M.O. in a situation like this. And as Connor was saying that about Billy Napier, him being interesting this week, two coaches popped in my mind pretty quickly. Two coaches that tried to play the confidence card to very, very different levels of success. I can remember early days at Orgeron as coach at LSU. This had been like right after they had lost to Alabama 10-0 the previous year. I think this was after the 2018 season. I believe it was going into 2019. Y'all can kind of check my uh, timeline on this. Obviously, 2019 was the big year for the Tigers. But Orgeron was confident at SEC media days. Confident about saying, hey, we played it close against Alabama. We're ready to take you know, the next step, whatever else. He kind of had a little bit of a confidence in terms of how he projected himself as the LSU coach, and he went on to win a national championship. By comparison, a coach like Jimbo Fisher. A lot of folks forget this. When it was announced that AN, that, that Texas and Oklahoma were coming to the SEC, when that news broke a couple of years ago, Brent Werneman, the guy who had the reporting, it totally obscured Jimbo Fisher's podium day at SEC media days there in Hoover, Alabama, and a lot of people kind of missed what Fisher said that day, but Jimbo himself also struck a really confident tone there as well. The A&M wanted to take that next step, and ultimately they, they didn't do it, obviously. So every now and then we do see a coach that sort of breaks from the typical mold of, let me try to speak as softly as I can, let me try to say as few interesting things as possible, let me just get out of here and get back to the business of running my team. Some coaches do use the podium as a platform. And sometimes projecting confidence is what they want to do with their time. So as Connor said, will Billy Napier, who needs a, a little bit of a splash in year two, will he use this as a way of introducing himself? And if it's not Billy Napier, you know, could it be Shane Beamer? Could it be Hugh Freeze? Could it be Josh Heupel? You know, there are some coaches that I think would love to aspire to take that next step as coaches and kind of calling their own shot in a situation like this. As rare as it might seem, there have been a few SEC coaches who've tried this before. Not all who've you know claimed success have actually gone out and taken it, but uh, but every now and then it does sort of work out. So we'll see if somebody does that here this week. Speaking of John Stinchcomb, and uh, who I said a moment ago was on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, don't forget you can do the exact same thing that John is doing right now. And I love the fact that uh, you know our buddy Wise Dog, some of y'all know on Twitter, he reached out to me, said he's on a, a Royal Caribbean cruise uh, this week there as well. Uh, he said advertising works, BA, you know, which I'm always uh, very glad to know about because honestly, I believe that you will have a good time on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. So when John Stinchcomb hears me uh, talking about this, and when he decides to take one makes me happy our good friend kaylee manzel she heard me talking about this she took a royal caribbean cruise vacation she'll tell you herself she had a great time there on that our producer michael carvel has now talked about wanting to take his family on a royal caribbean cruise vacation we push this stuff for a reason because we do truly believe it'll be a great experience for those that you love your family your friends whoever it is that you plan on taking with you and now is the time to do it jessica slater is a great travel agent to help you because after all i'm someone who kind of 
lives pretty immersed in this world. And even I use a great travel agent like Jessica Slater to book my cruise travel because uh, there are a lot of moving parts in a cruise decision. Which port do you want to sail out of? Which itinerary do you want to be a part of? I always go to a location that has perfect day, Coco Cay, but there are other destinations you can go to there as well, which also really provide interesting ports of call, interesting itineraries. You may be interested in that. And this ship goes here and this ship goes there. All of that requires a really good travel agent to help you, no pun intended, navigate through all of this. So let Jessica be that one for you. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And you can make the same decision that John Stinchcomb has made and so many of the folks here around Dog Nation have made to be a part of a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Now, with that said, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here today. And I want to talk more about the Tennessee situation for a moment. And my take on this is probably truly terrible because I'm going to be defending someone that most of you probably don't like very much, and I certainly get why. But to me, the Tennessee situation, if you're not aware, Tennessee had NCAA ruling come down against it over the course of the uh, weekend. They did not get a postseason ban. They're going to pay about $8 million bucks here. They're going to have a reduction of scholarship and some other recruiting restrictions um you know they're going to deal with all of that so obviously some serious things were turned up but ultimately tennessee did not get the most severe and serious penalty thrown at it that it could get but jeremy pruitt probably did he gets a six-year show cause against him and in that six-year period if he's ever hired by any school he is going to be suspended for the full year for the first year he's on the job by anyone that would hire him so I would say for all intents and purposes, Jeremy Pruitt is essentially unhirable as an on-field coach for the next six years. I just think that is, to me, probably the way this sort of looks. And to me, there's a real window into college athletics and all of this. I think the one thing that some fans have kind of come to grip come to grips with is what appears to be college sports may be about the wins and the losses, who wins and who loses, but there's a certain cynical view that kind of takes shape that, well, that while they talk about wins and losses and teams want to win, teams want to lose, this is really all just about the money. This is really all about the TV contracts and the revenue. And that in the boardrooms, there's very little discussion about who wins and who loses. And most of the discussion is about what's going to create the most money for us. And whatever's going to generate the most revenue matters more than anything else. There is a certain cynical view of college athletics that kind of puts money on top of actually winning and losing as what matters to the key decision makers. I think the stories like this kind of shine a light on what might be an even greater cynicism, that actually there is something more important in a lot of this than money itself. Because if you're like me, I don't know you, but if you're like me, money really matters. I don't have enough money, right? I've got two kids. I've got a wife. I'm responsible for uh, providing for them. And so the decisions I make professionally and other things, money is a very important consideration for me. I'm not free to make whatever choice I want to make because I've got a responsibility to my family to support them. Therefore, almost every decision I make is somehow based around the idea of, of money. And if you're like me, you may be the very same way, same, same, same way. But if you have money, money becomes a lot less important to you. A lot, a lot fewer of the decisions you make are ultimately about money. They're about something else. And I think you see with this Tennessee situation that money actually matters a lot less to Tennessee than something else. That the real force that drives a lot of this college athletic stuff, I believe, is actually about power. Because what Tennessee could have done 
with the Jeremy Pruitt situation. Once they realized they weren't happy with Pruitt as a coach, they could have just fired him. And they could have paid his buyout, which I believe would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of about $12 million or so. But Tennessee didn't apparently want to do that. They wanted to do this instead because it certainly looks like they set up after what had been a very embarrassing situation with the Vols. Remember, John Curry lost his job as Tennessee AD. Philip Fulmer was hired. That proved to be a mistake. We said at the time we thought Fulmer was angling to try to become Tennessee head coach himself. Uh, if that was true, that didn't work. Fulmer's handpicked coach was Jeremy Pruitt. And ultimately ends up that Jeremy Pruitt's like the scapegoat for the entire operation here. Because remember, it was the Tennessee chancellor who went on the record to say that she had been tipped off about some sort of NCAA violation that had occurred at Tennessee on uh, on Jeremy Pruitt's watch. You know, she kind of became her own version of a whistleblower here about wrongdoing the Tennessee program. The entirety of this NCAA investigation by appearances was kind of uh, spurred along by Tennessee itself. And there's one way of looking at this that almost seems like that Tennessee would rather create all this hysteria around the program from an NCAA standpoint more so than just admit, hey, they hired the wrong coach and Jeremy Pruitt. And it was an embarrassing chapter on the heels of several other embarrassing chapters. But instead of just paying the buyout to Pruitt, admitting a bad hire, admitting that hiring Philip Fulmer as AD was a bad hire, instead we'll go through all of this. When it's all said and done, it really didn't save Tennessee any money because they're ultimately going to pay about $9 million to the NCAA via penalties for the thing that they're involved with here their own internal investigation cost about a million and a half dollars it's basically almost the same amount of money they would have paid to jeremy prude as a buyout but they would rather do all of this than admit wrongdoing in other words the money doesn't really matter it's simply about powerful people not wanting to admit they did anything wrong and powerful people here deciding they want to pin the blame on somebody else and here's where my take gets truly terrible it's hard not to look at all the things that have gone on here and not come away feeling a little bit sorry for Jeremy Pruitt. Now, a lot of Georgia fans are like, I don't want to feel sorry for Jeremy Pruitt. I don't think Jeremy Pruitt's a very good person. And if you were around during Pruitt's time here at UGA, you could certainly be forgiven for feeling that way. I don't believe that Pruitt behaved in the most honorable of ways when he worked here at Georgia. I certainly don't think he did right by a guy like Mark Richt that a lot of Georgia fans obviously still have great affection for. But right is right and wrong is wrong. And honestly, I think looking on the Tennessee situation here – as a way of protecting themselves, it seems like powerful Tennessee decision makers have decided to make Jeremy Pruitt the scapegoat for this entire thing. Let's be honest here for a moment. It's easy to sort of see Jeremy Pruitt as like something less than the most sophisticated person in the world. And somehow, some way, it sort of ends up being like he ends up being like the patsy for all of this. That while Tennessee avoids any kind of postseason ban whatsoever, Jeremy Pruitt's own career essentially gets the death penalty. You know, he's already what, probably 50 you know, unhirable for the next six years, how hireable is he after that and what just kind of turns into his late 50s for a guy at that point in time, if it does play out the way that I'm saying it's playing out, would have been out of the game for quite some time. Is that fair for Jeremy Pruitt? It certainly doesn't feel fair for me. And it sort of shows you an example of a guy in Pruitt who had been a high school coach, sort of worked his way up the ranks, but ultimately in the eyes of Tennessee was totally expendable his his reputation his career everything else because Tennessee had a chance to save just a little bit of face by essentially ending his professional career which uh in a uh, manner of speaking this could you know sort of you know potentially be here and I think that's frankly I think it's a little bit of trouble I think that's a little bit troubling but it also should be eye-opening as well to those who look at SEC head coaches and like all these SEC coaches are beyond reproach these SEC coaches have no oversight these SEC coaches have uh total unchecked power 
That's the, the caricature that gets drawn from time to time. Well, Jeremy Pruitt was a head coach at Tennessee. Does it look like he had unchecked power? Does it look like he had total control to do whatever he wanted? No, I think the Jeremy Pruitt story at Tennessee identifies where real power actually rests. Somebody somewhere made a decision to end him professionally as uh, casually as you might order takeout. And frankly, I think that ought to be a lie opening. And to me, that's the real story in what went down with Tennessee here. Now, quickly, a couple of things on SEC Media Days. Greg Sankey speaks today. As I told Connor Raleigh a moment ago, I think Sankey's got a responsibility as the leader of this organization here right now. You've got to make it seem like 2023 matters, that this is not just the lame duck year of the end of the old era, final year for divisions, final year for you know the pre-Texas, Oklahoma version of this league. You've got to kind of cast a vision, sort of cast a narrative of why this season matters. I think that Sankey's got a responsibility in all of that. And I'll also say that you know Greg Sankey's got a little bit of a habit in situations like this. He sort of takes the little bit of the veiled shot. You know, some people sort of thought he did one the other day in the direction of the Big 12 for, you know, the fact they're going to play more games on Friday nights, kind of in, in, in encroaching on the typical turf of high school football. And every now and then he sort of takes a veiled shot at the Big Ten. You know, the fact they reach so far out west to bring in a USC and a, and, and, and a UCLA. These are the kinds of things that Sankey sort of takes the veiled shots at time to time, these other leagues and the national reporter types always just sort of lap all this stuff up. They kind of really enjoy that kind of you know passive aggressive soap opera a little bit. But while I think that Greg Sankey is ultimately probably the best position to be the the best leader for college sports moving forward, more so than anybody else in the in, in the world of college athletics right now, I do think a little bit more overt leadership would probably benefit him this week today when he speaks. Not quite so many of like the veiled shot of the Big Ten that kind of gets people laughing inside baseball stuff for media, but actually setting a vision moving forward for college football because we've obviously experienced great change. There's great change on the horizon for next year, but there's even more change on the horizon beyond that. And college sports does need, uh, you know, just better leadership. I don't mean central planning. There's a certain aspect of uh, college football media types who want all this to sort of be centrally controlled and centrally planned. Frankly, I think that makes college athletics weaker, not stronger, but better leadership overall, casting a better vision moving forward. I do think that's important for the SEC. And I think that Sankey's got a chance to do that today. We'll see if he does. And then, you know, I'll, I'll wrap this up because the show's gotten long enough as it is. But obviously, you got LSU, you got Texas A&M, uh, you've got Missouri on tap today. There are a handful of players who are not attending SEC media days who I do think will be very interesting subjects for all three of these teams. You know, we don't talk enough about the fact that Mason Smith, the big LSU defensive lineman, coming back from injury. This is the kind of force in the middle of a defense that can change fortunes for the teams that he plays on. I don't know how healthy, obviously, he's going to be after being pretty injured a year ago. But when you talk about LSU as a real legit contender, those type of teams typically have great defensive linemen. Mason Smith can be that guy. Let's see what kind of chatter exists around him at media days uh, here today. And then a couple of other uh, wide receivers who I believe will be subject of great chatter. Luther Burden from Missouri, obviously. I think the way that Missouri is going to use Burden here this year, he's really about the only thing they have going for them offensively. And a lot of the touches that Dominic Lovett got a year ago, Dominic, of course, now at Georgia, a lot of those touches that Lovett got a year ago, I think more of that goes in Burden's direction here right now. And so Freelight Drinkwitz, who I do believe needs to sort of establish himself as a coach some way, really kind of you know, putting his blueprint, I should say his fingerprints on, on something, how he uses Burden this year could be very interesting in that regard. 
And then I guess the other receiver I'll mention here for a moment is Evan Stewart. You know, uh, Texas A&M is not a very good team right now on paper. Uh, offense has big questions. Bobby Petrino brought in to sort of fix that. But they may have one of the very best players in the league in Evan Stewart, a very, very good wide receiver, who I also think will be a big uh, topic of discussion uh, there uh, today as A&M gets it turned at SEC media days. I was going to do some stuff on tomorrow. The teams are going to be there around Georgia. We'll just save that for tomorrow. We've gone long enough as it is. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So one of the things I love about our golden shoe, which we always do to close out our shows each and every day, a lot of times y'all just send me cool stuff you have in your house, those great man caves or or shrines to Georgia football that you have there in your home. And I'm always happy to show those off because Georgia fans are proud of the way their homes look. And our buddy Hayes Calloway sends this in. It looks great. Go dogs and all those commemorative framed, you know, I guess papers and magazines and stories and all the kind of cool stuff that's been out there. He's got a great collection of all those. And it's fun to think about how even more of those could be added in future years. Go for three and 23 this year. And who knows what happens beyond that. Georgia fans like Hayes, though, will be collecting all of those commemorative celebrations of all those championships in the time to come. So, Hayes, we will give you a golden shoe for that. And we'll say Gator Hater Countdown, lousy stinking Gators. Billy Napier gets SEC media days this week. Don't know if he faces the question or not, but it's a tough one for him. When can you beat Georgia? We certainly say not 103 days from now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see all of you tomorrow. It's Georgia State SEC media days. We'll talk about it. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia.